My name is Ryan Bonfilio, and I'm the Stembler Scholar and Director of Biblical and Theological Studies at First Pres. And I'm so glad you're here for this course. Many of you have, uh, have been here to other courses, and uh, if that's the case, I'm glad that you're back, uh, continuing along in the curriculum. And if this is your first time here, I'm delighted that you're giving Theology Matters a try, and I hope that you have a great experience tonight and hopefully other nights of the course as well. Uh, this class, as you know and can tell from the screen, is called Roadside Religion, Encountering Everyday Artifacts of Faith. And I'm going to say a little bit more about what that topic is, what roadside religion consists of, and the sorts of things we'll be talking about together over the next four weeks. But first, I want to say a few words about the program, about Theology Matters in general. As some of you know, Theology Matters is our way of trying to offer seminary-level theological education in a format that's accessible, relevant, and engaging to lay audiences. That is, not boring or dull. So I hope to accomplish that in this course. Um, as you can tell from the lights, I'm interested in working on my tan uh, leading up to the summer season. No, actually, uh, each Theology Matters course is designed to come in two formats. One format is the live version that we offer here on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.15 for four weeks in a row. But we're also interested in producing a digital standalone course that can exist as a Christian education resource beyond the scope of this class. So if people can't make it here on Wednesday nights or are looking for a curriculum to use in their Sunday school class, their small groups, or for their personal study, or even folks beyond First Pres are looking for Christian education resources, we want to produce uh, to pardon the pun, uh, an artifact of Christian education that can be used elsewhere. And with the help of, of John and his crew, uh, we've produced a really great product. I just would actually want to show you the, uh, the last class we taught, the Ten Commandments, is actually up. And so you can go to our website, and even if you didn't do the course, you can find here uh, podcasts of the whole course, uh, video lectures of the whole course, lecture outlines, discussion questions, a course overview, and further resources for study. Basically, with one click, you can get a free seminary-level course that you can use uh, in your small groups, in your Sunday school classes, or for personal reflection. Just simply scroll down, uh, and you can click. Um, you get a little bit of a sense of what these look like. And then it starts. So uh, we have a lot. So the, the vision here is to eventually build. Shh, stop. <laughs> uh, he always talks over me, I find. Um, the goal here is to, to, to build out a whole library of resources uh, that can be useful to this church, but also that uh, to help this church be, uh, in essentially, a resource center, uh, both locally and denominationally, for other churches in terms of the sort of material. Uh, that we produce for uh, Christian education. So that's a sense of where the, why the cameras are here, why the lights are here. We realize that they can be a bit uh, obtrusive, and so if you're, if you're in one of the seats uh, who has obstructed vision, uh, try just to move around. As you can tell, we've, we've worked with a different arrangement of the room to try to make the live experience uh, as good as possible while still preserving what we need to do uh, to capture the digital course. And I, I'm actually going to ask you a question about that at the very end of our session today. Uh, there's going to be a straw poll about what uh, setup works best. So stay tuned for that. Um, 
Two other notes about the course. Um, well, three, really. One, there's coffee and dessert outside. At any point, feel free to help yourself to that. We will have a break midway between the lecture, and so that'll be a natural time to go out and refill your coffee or reload your dessert. Uh, second, uh, each, so this is a four-week course, uh, and the theme that we address will be consistent throughout the whole course, but each week is designed to stand alone. So Bruce, if you come to week one and, can, and have to miss week two and come back week three, that content will be completely independent. You won't be left out of the conversation because you missed a week. And so that'll be true of all four weeks. But in addition to that, within about 24 hours of each of these lectures, uh, John's crew will have posted an audio podcast of the lecture. So you can check back here Friday morning and you'll get an audio podcast of this lecture. So again, if you miss and want to catch up, just go to our website, I'll send out the address and you can download the audio, listen to it, and, and be with us uh, for the next session. The final thing that I'll say, and this is a new element to our Theology Matters program, for the first time, there's gonna be some recommended, not required, recommended reading to go along with the course. Uh, and this book here is the recommended reading, it's called Roadside Religion, not surprisingly, uh, In Search of the, sa the Sacred, the Strange, and the Substance of Faith. And it's written by uh, a religion professor, Timothy Beale, who's at Case Western Reserve uh, University. Timothy Beale is an Old Testament PhD graduate uh, from Emory, so I have a certain fondness for that, since that was my path as well. Um, this is a wonderful book. Uh, I, it inspired the title of my class. I'm not teaching this book in our four weeks together. What I do in terms of content is quite different than what Beale does here. However, if you like this topic and want a way to continue to reflect on it beyond our lectures, I would encourage you to, to buy this book and just read it on your own. It's, it's highly accessible, it's funny. The basic storyline here is that Beale takes a sabbatical from his teaching job. He rents an RV, piles in his wife, who is a PCUSA minister, by the way, and their two little kids, and they go on, an, I think, about an eight-week road trip to various theme parks and other sites, mostly in the South. Uh, and, and basically the whole book is, is Beale's reflection about him and his family's experience at these various roadside religion sites. It's a hoot, it's funny, it's easy. Uh, it's sold in the Mustard Seed bookstore, and Betty was kind enough to come here tonight and have a little book table. So you can actually buy a copy for only $15 in the back of the room, um, that actually I think beats the Amazon price, or it's right there with it. Uh, so grab a copy, it's, I really recommend it. It's not required, so you're not missing anything if you don't get it, but uh, I do think you might, um, might enjoy it. Okay, I think that's the end of my introductory uh, words. Let me pray, and then we will start officially, let me switch back over to our presentation. We will start officially with session one. Let's pray together. God of grace and mercy, we're grateful to be gathered together tonight uh, to think, to reflect, to discuss, and to study together the curious ways we encounter faith and Christianity in popular culture. Lord, give us minds, uh, open minds and open hearts that we might engage this material together, that it might not only further our understanding of this great faith you have given us, but that it might urge us on in each of our walks with you, that we might come to love you and be committed to you more in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, let's begin. Session one, In Search 
of the sacred. I want to begin the course with a simple, or a deceptively simple, question. Where do we encounter religion in America today? If we were in search of sacred places, or sacred things, or sacred sites, where would we turn? Where would we go? Well, there are some usual suspects that, we might, uh, that, that might fill our answer. Churches, synagogues, small groups, Sunday school classes, community outreach events, seminaries, cemeteries, though one ought not to confuse the latter, too. Uh, we might go to all of these places in search of religion or in search of the sacred. And these would all be great answers, and they all would be worthy topics for a Theology Matters course, and yet I won't talk about a single one of them in this course. Rather, in this course, our search for the sacred will take us beyond official religions and institutions to more curious artifacts of faith. Specifically, over these next eight sessions, or four weeks, we'll look at the ways in which religion, but perhaps especially Christianity, is often practiced, expressed, experienced, and transmitted through things like billboards, church signs, bumper stickers, t-shirts, pamphlets, uh, refrigerator magnets, tattoos, and theme parks. Such expressions of faith are typically unsanctioned by the church. That is, there's not an official church producing the t-shirt or the tattoo or the magnet. So they're unofficial, they're unsanctioned by the church, and they often reflect a curious blend of Christian belief on the one hand, or ideas about the Bible and theology on the one hand, and popular Christian or popular culture and media. They're these combinations of Christianity and culture. Taken together, I'll refer to these everyday artifacts of faith as roadside religion. So what do I mean by roadside religion? What do these everyday artifacts of faith look like? Well, I thought we would just, uh, uh, as an appetizer to the course, just get a sampling of some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next eight sessions. My favorite place to start, of course, is the church billboard or the church marquee, those signs that get placed on the corner, on the side of the road, that have some message that the church wants to display. Well, some, some signs, in my experience, are in need of a little bit of editing to, to clarify some confusing syntax, like this one. Don't let worries kill you, let the church help. I, I think we want, as an English teacher, we'd want to just there's something missing, a comma or a semicolon. Or this one experiences a similar problem, though of course it's not true about our preachers. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. Many ways to interpret that sign, of course. Some church signs, I find, uh, participate in some uh, biblical exegesis. That is, they, they try to understand a biblical command and, and, and sometimes fill in a gap. Like this one, keep using my name in vain, I'll make rush hour longer. <laughs> one only needs speculate about Atlanta traffic to understand our commitment to the fourth commandment. Um, Other church signs we might consider to be an exercise in practical theology, like this one. Whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It is hot where you're going. <laughs> And then finally others, and this will certainly not be the last for this course, it's just an entree, uh, others leverage social media. Get off Facebook and into my book, God. Um, 
Now, another category of roadside religion is closely related to church billboards, and I call it uh, public displays of Bible. Public displays of Bi Bible, or PDBs, those of you with youth, not to be confused with PDAs, public uh, displays of affection. But PDBs, public displays of Bible, are often found along the roadside of life, either in bumper stickers or other forms of vehicle art. Uh, like this one, for instance, that displays the, uh, a passage from Joshua 1.9. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I don't know about in that car, though. Uh, or this one from the New Testament, Philippians 3.14. Uh, press on toward the goal. Uh, these Texas cheerleaders, it's a little bit small here, have written Romans 1.16 in the KJV, mind you, uh, on the back of this car. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believeth. That if tells you it's KJV. This one, again, it's a little small. Uh, this is a theological comment. It says, warning, in case of rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned, which would be a traffic problem, uh, to be sure. Uh, and some just odd. Now, this last one I actually took a picture of on the intersection uh, coming off of an exit of 285. This was just this past uh, fall. Let me zoom in for you. It's called a Yahweh tree service. It's apparently a tree cutting business that for whatever reason calls itself the sacred unutterable name of the Lord. I'm not sure what to make of it, but there's some leveraging of biblical language here uh, for, for your, all your lawn care services. Now, another area uh, of roadside religion is the uh, Christian theme park. Now we're going to have one, actually two whole sessions on the Christian theme park, so I won't say much about these now, uh, but I'll just give you a taste of where we're headed. There is, for instance, in the top, the Precious Moments Chapel in Carthage, Missouri. Have you all ever seen the little Precious, precious Moments figurines? Sometimes they're on top of cakes. Well, there's a whole chapel for Precious Moments. It's decorated in the imagery of the Precious Moments figures, but you can actually get married there. So why just have the figurines on top of your wedding cake when you can actually get married in the Precious Moments uh, uh, chapel? There's also the Holy Land experience here, of course, in or no other place other than Orlando, Florida, where you can see reenactments of the Passion, uh, the Last Supper, and other such things. Uh, there's the Creation Man Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky, which uh, my wife and I have actually been to. We stumbled upon it. Actually, it wasn't a planned trip. We, we found ourselves there and found ourselves trying to figure out what we were looking at as we were at the Creation Museum. As a little a taste of where we're headed, one of the exhibits uh, displays a dinosaur uh, uh, with um, Adam and Eve. Uh, because in the, in, the, in the idea of the Creation Museum, the earth is only 6,000 year years old, so that means that the, the dinosaurs had to have existed with Adam and Eve 6,000 years ago. There's a lot to unpack there, and we will do some of that <laughs> later. Um, and finally, near, just across the street from the Creation Museum is the Ark Encounter. This is a recreation of an extraordinary uh, ark that's supposed to be exactly like Noah's ark. It opens this July. It's opens this July and tickets are on sale for $60. Um, so you can get ahead on the advance list of that. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's in Kentucky. It's, I think, Petersburg, Kentucky. 
Yeah, it's Petersburg, Kentucky. You can actually get a package ticket and go to the Creation Museum and then walk over to the Noah's Lifeside Ark. Uh, I recommend it. Um, now, sometimes we find roadside religion within our homes. It's not always on the outside. Um, here, for instance, are a few uh, kitchen trinkets with a southern flair. This first one is a little hot plate that says shalom, y'all. Now, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace or, or cosmic well-being. And y'all, well, y'all know what that is. Then there's this coffee mug that says, and also with y'all. So a southern twist on a liturgical phrase that we all say uh, at communion. And finally, my, one of my favorite areas of roadside religion, particularly as a Hebrew professor, are Hebrew tattoos with typos. <laughs> one must be very careful in getting tattoos not to misspell languages you don't know how to read. So for instance, let me just give you two examples. Here's a, uh, a tattoo. Um, I have to say in Hebrew, this is gibberish. It does not mean or say anything. Uh, what I think the person was going for was this, Elohim, which is the word God. What they got instead, they confused a couple letters, they misdrew this letter here, uh, they have a vowel here that doesn't make any sense. And so, what the, the, so forever this person has gibberish on their forearm, not the word for God. Another example, uh, this, is a, 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 this is a tattoo on a leg. Um, once again, it's gibberish. This is not a word in Hebrew. Here's what I think they were going for. Yehuda, which is the word for Judah. For any of you who just, even if you don't know Hebrew, can you tell what the tattoo artist did wrong? Can you tell what they did wrong? They went backwards. That's exactly right. Remember, Hebrew reads right to left. English reads right, uh, left to right. Apparently, the tattoo artist or the, the creator did not realize that, and so spelled the word backwards here. So be very, if, if you are interested, this is just an editorial side note. If you are interested in a Hebrew tattoo, please come to my office. Let's have coffee. <laughs> let's discuss the, uh, if, if you have the grammar and spelling right before you make a life commitment uh, to that tattoo. There are many, 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 many other forms of roadside religion out there, and we'll look at many of them throughout this course. But right now, my, my, my point is this. Roadside religion can be, and often is, highly entertaining. Enter entertaining. That is, it's just fun to look at, right? We can get a chuckle at it. Some of it can be interesting. But the real question for us, is roadside religion worthy of study? Is it worthy to take four weeks, four Wednesdays of your life, uh, to actually think critically about these everyday expressions of faith? Well, the answer for most people is no. Roadside religion is not a worthy topic of study. You will never, with, with Beale's book accepted, you will almost never find a book by a scholar of religion that deals with this topic. I think that it feels too lowbrow. It feels too uh, low culture for many scholars. Similarly, you will never find a seminary class that deals with this topic, perhaps because this does not seem to be the stuff of ordination exams or, or codified Protestant theology. It's often, roadside religion is, dismissed or even disparaged by mainline Protestants as silly, superfluous, or maybe even a little sacrilegious. So what happens is this, this is our dilemma. We see roadside religion everywhere. We can't help but drive along the roads, particularly here in the Bible Belt, and encounter these everyday artifacts of faith, and yet we never think about them. 
we never really stop and say, what's that doing? What are the beliefs and the ideas and perspectives and theologies that are just beneath the surface of this roadside religion? What effect on popular understandings of Christianity are these everyday artifacts of faith having? And this is exactly what I want to do in this course. I want to take these everyday artifacts of faith that we call roadside religion and treat it seriously and think critically and self-critically about what they are and how they work. And in particular, I think there are three reasons to, to, uh, to study roadside religion. First, and perhaps most importantly, roadside religion constitutes the public face of Christianity for many outside the church. At no other time in American history has the general understanding of Christianity in our, in our common culture been lower than it is. Unless you've grown up in a church, and in a church that really valued uh, Christian education, most Americans today would struggle to tell the difference or to name the difference between Protestant and Catholics, let alone between various Protestant groups, let alone between the book of Mark and the book of Matthew, or infant baptism and adult baptism. The tendency I think for most people in these situations outside the church is to overlook the rich diversity of Christian theologies and biblical perspectives that are available in various different church traditions today. And instead, they assume that Christianity is a uniform entity. There is one Christianity, and everyone believes the same thing. And the content of that entity, if you're not in the church, what Christianity stands for and what it believes is often assumed from roadside religion. That is, we see stuff along the road and we think that's what all Christians believe. If you're not in the church, this happens. I've had this happen with friends of mine who did not grow up in the church. To be honest, I didn't grow up in the church, and these were my assumptions about Christianity until well into my 20s. And so here's the problem. Well, let's take an example, actually. Here's a billboard. Uh, it says, the Bible speaks for itself on creation, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. That, that is actually a biblical quote. Um, but this billboard is for uh, an organization that uh, assumes that the earth, just like the Creation Museum, is only 6,000 years old. Now, if you didn't grow up in a church and you didn't have Sunday school or, or small groups, and you saw this billboard and you assumed that this is what all Christians must believe, you believe that all Christians think the Bible is clear about a literal six-day creation, and it isn't, by the way. You think that all Christians reject the idea of evolution, which, of course, they don't. And so you get a very skewed or, or uh, a, a mischaracterized version of Christianity. And sometimes, if, if this version of Christianity doesn't appeal to you, and you assume that all the church is like this, it could, in fact, keep you away from the church. So we need to think about roadside religion, in part because for those who are not in the church, it's what they know about Christianity. And you've heard me say this before, I think, in other contexts, but sometimes what keeps people away from the church is what they misunderstand about the church, not what it actually believes. And this is a good example. I actually had another example as I got off the, the MARTA subway system here in Atlanta this morning. Uh, there were these free little booklets, What Does the Bible Really Teach? And of course, I was interested in that very question. So I grabbed a booklet, and as I walked back to church and I read some of it, I was astonished at the sort of things that this little book says. Among other things, uh, it denounces anyone who would celebrate Christ uh, Christmas, 
uh, for it's a pagan holiday, of course. Um, and it also denounces anyone who would ever uh, give blood or receive blood in a medical procedure. This is a Jehovah Witness uh, track. And they have very particular beliefs that they actually portray is just simply what the Bible says, which of course, the Bible doesn't say any of those things. And yet, if you were getting off the subway and didn't know anything about the Bible and Christianity and got this book, think of what you would think about most Christians. This is why we need to study roadside religion. At least that's the first reason. The second two are briefer. Uh, the second reason to study roadside religion is that roadside religion, in my estimation, uh, and this is a little bit more of a charitable view, is not inherently less authentic or legitimate than more official expressions of faith. It's not less inherently less authentic or legitimate. Let me give you an example. Here on the left is uh, the drive-through church in Daytona Beach, Florida. It is exact, or drive-in church. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's like an outdoor movie theater that you drive into and that's church. We'll talk about it in week three of this class. And then on the right is the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris, France. Now, for most of us, these feel like really, really, really different things. Most of us wouldn't take uh, uh, a trip to Daytona Beach to see this church, but we might take a trip to Paris to see the Notre Dame Cathedral. And yet, even though we might prefer one or the other, I would say there's no less theology here than there is here. Both are external expressions of beliefs about how and where and why people encounter the sacred. We might like one much more than the other, or we actually we might like neither of these in a certain way. And yet, I think both attempt to give outward form to inner religious experience. So our goal then is not to judge one better than the other necessarily, although we may come out on the side of one or the other, but our main goal is to be curious about the ideas and beliefs that lie behind and motivate these sorts of buildings and other artifacts of faith. How do they reflect religious sensibilities and what effect do they have on those who attend these sorts of places? Now the third reason to study roadside religion has to do with its function. Roadside religion, this is my basic claim of the course, roadside religion is about marking or creating sacred space. Now the word sacred simply means to be set apart for a purpose. And so my idea here is that roadside religion, by, by putting on your bumper sticker or putting on your Jesus fish or whatever else it is, you are marking or indicating that a space or a person or idea is sacred, that is set apart for a purpose. Beale addresses this in his book, Roadside Religion, when he says that these everyday artifacts of faith are, quote, a very concrete manifestation of the desire to create a place that is set apart from ordinary space, from the homogeneity of everyday life, an otherworldly realm governed by rules other than those of normal profane space. Consider, for instance, the hanging of a Bible verse in a home or a placing of the so-called Jesus fish on your car. What's the point of doing it? Is it the point for someone to see this picture and stop and study the words of John 3.16 and interpret it? No, the point is for people to see it hanging in your home and to know that it indicates something about your belief and your faith identity. Again, it's an external manifestation of an internal identity. It publicly signals who we are and what we believe, and in this sense, 
It really is no different than the large Bible that many churches display uh, at the front of their churches, or even beautiful stained glass windows. They are meant to indicate and to mark a place as sacred. And this, in fact, is not unprecedented in the Bible. Uh, consider Deuteronomy uh, 6, 6 through 9. Keep these words that I am commanding you in your heart. This is uh, Moses kind of uh, transmitting God's word to the people. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them, remember that them is the words of scripture. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. This verse offers a fascinating way of thinking about how we can internalize Scripture in our hearts and at the same time externalize Scripture by binding it on our arms, putting it on our foreheads, and placing it on the doorposts of our homes. And in fact, Jewish practice today follows all of these recommendations. Uh, this idea of phylacteries, uh, these little bo leather boxes that contain little segments of Torah, usually from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, that devout Jews uh, wear on their arms and their foreheads during morning prayers during the weekday. People still do this today. Perhaps you've seen this. Uh, the other practice, this idea of writing scripture on the doorpost of your house, uh, takes the form of this object here called a mezuzah. Mezuzah is just a Hebrew word for doorpost. And again, it's a little bit of scripture in this often metal box that's placed on your doorpost. No one ever opens the box to read the scripture. But in seeing the box, you know that this is a Jewish home. It marks sacred space. By the way, as a little side note here, all mezuzahs are placed on an angle on the doorpost. Does anyone know why it's placed on an angle on these doorposts? Well, this is where Jewish tradition is fascinating, and I think Christianity has much to learn from it. There was one prominent rabbi that argued strongly and vehemently that the mezuzah should always be placed horizontally on the doorpost. There was another important rabbi who argued just as vehemently that all mezuzahs should be placed vertically on the doorpost. So what did they do? They put it on a slant. I think Christians have a lot to learn from that sort of dialogue. In any case, the main question then of this course is what do we make of these and other forms of roadside religion? Each session of our course takes up one specific artifact or set of artifacts of roadside religion, and it examines how we find the sacred in these strange and curious combinations of Christianity and culture. Uh, the topics we'll look at in each session are quite different. Uh, for the remainder of this section, we're going to turn uh, to a little booklet called The Four Laws of Faith. And we're going to think about um, how this functions, let me zoom in, as a sort of cliff notes version of the gospel for many, many, many Christians today. In fact, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. This little booklet here has been read by more people in the world than any other piece of literature ever printed other than the Bible. Actually, by many, many times that is the case. So I want to wonder, what is this? Where did it come from? And how does it summarize the contents of Scripture? That's, that's the, the second part of this week, session two. Sessions three and four is called The Bible Zine, a Scripture Meets People magazine. There is a, there, there's actually something, actually, I really should have said Scripture Meets Us Weekly or something like that. Recently, in the big business of Bible publication, 
actual large portions of the Bible, occasionally whole New Testaments, are placed in what looks like a teenager magazine with glossy photos and text box and articles and ads and top ten lists and all these other things. And in there with all that stuff is the actual Word of God. So next week in sessions three and four, we're going to think about what happens to the Bible when it takes this form. And I have a bunch of Bible zines uh, to hand out so that we can actually look at to see what, what has happened here. Uh, in sessions uh, five and six, uh, it's titled Lights, Camera, Church. We're going to talk about the phenomena of drive-in and drive-through spirituality. What happens when we start mixing Hollywood in film production with the idea of a Sunday morning liturgical experience? There's something good, I would argue, about that. But there's also some pitfalls of a sort of disembodied Christianity that I'm going to think more critically together about. And then finally, uh, in our last two sessions, session eight, uh, seven and eight, uh, we'll look at Bible theme parks, uh, commercializing Christianity. Uh, Bible theme parks are big business uh, in America today. Uh, right up there with uh, Disney World and SeaWorld and all the others. You can go to incredible places and have Bible land experiences. We want to think about what is that about? Why do people flood these sorts of places, particularly in the summers? What's experience? What version of Christianity is contained in these theme parks? I thought about subtitling this, uh, the, Griswo the Griswolds uh, go to the Holy Land experience. But I didn't know if everyone would recall the Griswold movies from back in the 80s uh, when they went to Wally World. But in any case, that's another subject for another time. But our last week together, we will think about Christian theme parks uh, and their effects. For each of these sessions, uh, we'll have two central questions. So we'll look at different artifacts of faith, and, but, but for each one, we'll ask two uh, fairly straightforward questions. First, what motivations, ideas, and beliefs lie behind these everyday artifacts of faith? In doing so, we'll explore historical, cultural, and theological background as necessary, such as who uses them, who produced them, what influence and effect do they have on popular Christian belief. Uh, second, um, we'll want to ask a more evaluative question. What do these forms of roadside religion get right? What can we learn from them, even as uh, Presbyterians today, or, or whatever denomination you might come from? What might we learn from these everyday artifacts of, of faith, especially if our traditions don't tend to produce these sorts of things. What do we learn? What's good about them? But on the other hand, we want to ask, what do they get wrong? How do they misconstrue or misrepresent the Bible and theology? There's a word of response that we want to offer also to many of these artifacts of faith, and I'm going to think together about how best to articulate that response, in part because I think many of us, at some point in life, will be in a position to have to respond to these artifacts of faith. So this is the task before us, to search out the sacred in everyday life, uh, excuse me, to search out the sacred in everyday artifacts of faith and to think critically about roadside religion and other curious combinations of Christianity and culture. It is to this topic that we'll turn in the next seven sessions.